0: Hello and welcome to the Curious Clubhouse podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jason. And if you're new to the podcast, this is a weekly podcast where I take you on a brief, informative journey into a specific subject or topic that has helped shape and influence today's pop culture. We, of course, are just a few days away from Halloween. This will be episode five. And this week we are talking about Halloween. I'm, of course, not referring to the holiday, but rather the horror slasher franchise known as Halloween. I'll tell you a bit about what this franchise is. We'll talk about, as always, the origins and inspirations behind this iconic horror franchise. And this week, I'm adding a brand new segment to this episode called Curious History, where we'll be discussing the history of Michael Myers, the villain and main antagonist of the majority of the Halloween franchise. We'll, of course, talk about other properties and things that exist within the Halloween universe, and lastly, we'll go over some curious and interesting facts as well. So without further ado, let's jump in here and let's get curious. So what is Halloween? Well, aside from being a really cool holiday, Halloween is also an American horror franchise that consists of 11 slasher films, novels, and comic books. The franchise focuses on the fictional character of Michael Myers, who was committed to a San sanitarium as a child for the murder of his older sister. 15 years later, he escapes to stalk and kill the people of Haddonfield, Illinois, while being chased by his former psychiatrist Dr. Samuel Loomis. Michael's killings take place on Halloween night, on which all of the films mainly take place, hence the title of Halloween. The original Halloween was released in 1978, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill and directed by Carpenter. The sequels have had various writers and directors throughout the years. Michael Myers is the antagonist in all the films except Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which has no direct connection to any other film in the series. Carpenter, who has had a hand in writing the first two sequels, did not have direct involvement with the rest of the films until the 2018 sequel, which he co-produced. The film series is ranked fourth at the United States box office in adjusted $2,008 when compared to other American horror franchises. The first Halloween film is credited with with beginning a long line of slasher films, inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. The franchise began building up when the first novel appeared less than a year after the release of the first film. Then seven sequels followed. Eventually, in 2007, a Halloween remake was produced, with its direct sequel released 2 years later in 2009. A direct sequel this time to the original Halloween was released on October 19th of 2018. The new film takes place 40 years after the events from the original and has no connection to the second through eighth Halloweens or to the remake continuity. Two sequels to this film have been released. Halloween Kills in 2021, and Halloween Ends just released on the 14th of this month. Now, I have seen the first few films in the original series. Uh, They're very well done, uh, despite being on the low-budget side of things, but they still hold up even after all these years. Um, I definitely need to go through and watch some of the later entries in the franchise, Uh, and I've also seen, the obviously, the latest three films that they've just released in 2018, 2021, and 2022, as I alluded to just a minute ago. Those films were directed by David Gordon Green, and they continue Laurie Strode and Michael's story. And I have to say, they are very well done. They're fantastic movies, in my opinion. the This latest film that just released, Halloween Ends, has received uh, quite a bit of negativity, quite a bit of backlash among hardcore fans. And that's due primarily, I think, to the fact that Michael Myers is only in about 10 minutes of the film in its entirety. uh, The film chooses chooses to focus on Laurie Strode's granddaughter's love life rather than closing out Michael and Laurie's story in a dramatic way in the way that I think hardcore fans were hoping Uh, but despite that the film is still worth watching and if you haven't seen any of the movies in the main franchise and you're looking for a good starting point you know you could definitely use these three newest movies to start your journey in the halloween universe if you chose Uh, it's definitely a good place to start in my opinion So that's just a little bit of overview about what the Halloween franchise is as a whole. Uh, Obviously, there are many movies, uh, 11 movies in total. uh, So there's a lot to this franchise as we go throughout this episode. But now that we know a little bit about what it is, let's dive into some of the origins behind this franchise, some of the ideas and inspirations, uh, and talk about the person that came up with the idea for Halloween and ultimately for Michael Myers himself. So, Erwin Yablins first dreamed up the idea for Halloween on an airplane. He told the New York Times, In 1981, I was coming back from a film festival in Milan, and I was looking for an idea that wouldn't cost money because I didn't have any money. I couldn't afford to buy a book or a play, and it happened to be Halloween night. He worked out the idea of a madman stalking and killing babysitters. Everyone's either been a babysitter or had a babysitter, he figured, so the story became relatable. When his plane landed he hurried to a phone and pitched the babysitter murders to john carpenter Yablans had acquired carpenter's 1976 urban western assault on precinct 13 a gripping tightly wound action picture that failed to find an audience except in britain it was successfully distributed by a man named michael myers interesting Now we know where we got the name for our villain. Yoblins was looking for a director for his, at the time, very commercial movie, so they made a deal. Yoblins would executive produce the movie, financing it through his company, Compass International Pictures, splitting the $300,000 budget, which was a low budget for a film even then, even for an independent film. In exchange for writing and directing it, Carpenter would get creative control $10,000 and a percentage of the potential profits. Carpenter brought on then-girlfriend Deborah Hill to co-write the script and produce. They came up with the story of Michael Myers. The film was shot in 22 days in May of 1978. Now, the fact that it was shot in 22 days, in and of itself, in my opinion, is super impressive. I mean, you look at films shot today and you look at the production time. You look at the fact that they have to hire not just actors, but they have to hire these executive producers, producers, directors, executive product directors, the whole nine yards. Uh, so, making a decent movie nowadays can take anywhere from two years or longer, you know, hiring everybody, getting everything filmed and prepped and then finally released. So the fact that we have a movie that was shot in just 22 days at the budget that it was shot at uh, and has ultimately led to this massive franchise that we now know of today is nothing sort of mind-blowing in my opinion. Uh, But that's just a little bit about the origins behind this iconic franchise and the person that came up with it. I just thought it was a pretty interesting story about how he brought the idea of the babysitter murders, aka Halloween, to Carpenter, and Carpenter ultimately was able to turn it into what we know of today. So now that we know a little bit about it, let's dive into our brand new segment for this episode that I mentioned before, that again I'm calling it Curious History. And of course we're talking about michael myers's history i want to tell you a little bit about his early childhood leading into his early 20s uh, when he really starts to ramp up his kills uh, and really start to go on a rampage now i do want to issue a spoiler warning for anyone who may not have seen the first couple of films in the franchise as this history timeline of myers does uh spoil the first couple of films quite a bit. It kind of dives right in there. So if you don't want those first couple of films spoiled, if you're planning on watching them, put us on pause, go check them out, come back. We'll of course still be here. So getting into this, Michael Audrey Myers was born on October 19th, 1957. He had an older sister named Judith and a younger sister who we'll touch on later. The family resided in a two-story house at 45 Lampkin Lane in the suburban town of Haddonfield, Illinois. On October 31st, 1963, a six-year-old Michael dressed as a clown for Halloween and watching his sister and her boyfriend kissing before going upstairs. Taking a knife out of the kitchen drawer and waiting for Judith's boyfriend to leave, Michael then snuck up the stairs and repeatedly stabbed his sister to death. After watching her die, He leaves the house, only to be discovered by his astonished parents, who had just returned home. Michael was then sent to Smith's Grove Warren County Sanitarium for his crimes, where he would remain until his 21st birthday, until he could be tried as an adult. At Smith's Grove, Michael received received psychiatric treatment from Dr. Sam Loomis, Upon spending time with the boy, Loomis concluded that it was a hopeless case, that Michael Myers had no humanity left. He pleaded his case that Myers be moved to a more secure facility, but his superiors refused to listen and ordered that he remain in Smith's Grove. So that's a little bit about Michael's early childhood. Now let's continue on into his early 20s. On October 30th, 1978, the 21-year-old Michael Myers destroyed his room at Smith's Grove and carved the word sister on his door before breaking out. He also released the other patients from their rooms. At the same time, Dr. Loomis and nurse Marion Chambers were arriving at the facility to transfer Myers for his court hearing, noticing the patients roaming around outside the hospital Loomis gets out of the car to investigate, as Michael attacks Marion and then speeds away in their station wagon. As he drives across Illinois, Michael stops to murder a truck driver to steal his overalls. Traveling then on to Haddonfield, Michael returns to his childhood home. The next day, on Halloween, a teenage Lori Strode drops off a key at the Myers' house for her realtor father and was immediately recognized by her brother, Michael, proceeds to stalk her and her friends Annie and Linda throughout the afternoon he he also stole Judith's gravestone from the local cemetery and broke into Nicole's hardware to acquire knives rope and a white Halloween mask meanwhile Dr Loomis had followed Michael to Haddonfield and warned the town sheriff lay bracket of the danger he posed that night as Lori and Annie were babysitting across the street from each other, Michael watched them from the shadows. He murders Annie first, strangling her in her car as she left to meet her boyfriend, before slitting her throat. Later, Linda and her boyfriend, Bob, show up only to fall victim to Michael as well. Worried about her missing friends, Lori crosses the street to investigate, only to find Annie's body arranged under Judith Meyer's gravestone and Linda and Bob hidden in the closet. Michael lunges at his sister, catching her on the arm with his knife, and she runs for help. Michael follows her across the street, and Lori is forced to stab him with both a knitting needle and his own knife. As Michael rises from apparent death to resume his attack on Lori, Dr. Loomis appears and shoots him six times, causing him to fall off the balcony. When Loomis Loomis goes to check out the body, Michael has vanished. The injured Michael flees into the back alleys of Haddonfield. He kills a teenage Alice Martin before breaking into the elementary school and scrawling Sam Haim onto the chalkboard in blood. As news of the murders spread, chaos erupts in Haddonfield. With citizens rioting and teenager Ben Tramer, being killed in the confusion. Learning Lori's location from a news report, Michael resumes his search for her at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, where she has been taken for her shoulder wound. Michael systematically murders Lori's protectors at the hospital, including a security guard, a paramedic, doctor, and four nurses. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis, who was continuing his search for Myers with the help of the Haddonfield police, was told by Marion Chambers of Michael's sibling connection to Laurie Strode. Loomis, realizing why Michael has come home, tracks him down to the hospital and saves Laurie's life a second time. Loomis and Laurie working together to cause an explosion in the hospital's operating room, which engulfs both Loomis and Michael which ultimately leads to their death, or at least that's what we are led to believe at the time. Uh, So that is a brief history of Michael Myers throughout his childhood, leading into his 20s as he really starts his murder spree. Um, So now that we know a little bit about Michael Myers, let's turn our attention to some other properties related to the Halloween universe. First and foremost, starting with the novels, the tie-in novels. When the original Halloween was released in 1978, a novelization of the film followed just a year later, written by Curtis Richards. The book follows the events of the film, but expands on the festival of Sam Samhain and Michael's time at Smith's Grove. Sanitarium, Halloween 2, II, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and Halloween 4 each received novelizations as well. Jack Martin would write Halloween 2, which was released alongside its film counterpart. Martin included an additional victim of Michaels in this novel. Halloween 4, released in October 1988 and written by Nicholas Grokowski, also followed the events of the film in which it was adapted from. A novelization of the 2018 film by John Passarella was released on October 23, 2018. Now, I have read the 2018 novelization. Uh, I actually listened to it on Audible. It's fantastic. It has a fantastic narrator, and it does expand on the movie a bit as well. Uh, There is a little bit of difference in the novel as it pertains to the movie. So if you like that 2018 movie and you want a little bit more, I definitely highly recommend you check out the novel uh, because it is well worth the read. So continuing on with the books here over a four-month period berkeley books published three young adult novels written by kelly o'rourke the novels are original stories created by o'rourke with no direct continuity with the films the first released on october 1st 1997 titled the scream factory which follows a group of friends who set up a haunted house attraction in the basement of Haddonfield city hall only to be stalked and killed by michael myers while they are there the uh, excuse me the old myers place is the second novel released december 1st 1997 and focuses on mary white who moves into the myers house with her family michael returns home and begins stalking and attacking mary and her friends O'Rourke's final novel, The Madhouse, was released on February 1st, 1998. The Madhouse features a young girl, Christine Ray, who joins a documentary film crew that travels to haunted locations, and they are headed to Smith's Grove Sanitarium, where they are confronted by Michael. Now, I thought these young adult novels sounded really interesting. It's almost like the stories in these books actually take place in a separate but similar universe from the main franchise, which I think is really cool to think about. Uh, Definitely looking forward to reading some of those young adult novels uh, of this series if I'm able to find them. So that's just a few of the books that have been written at or around and about the Halloween franchise. Now let's uh, turn our attention and shift gears to the comic book side of things. The first Halloween comic was published by Brian Polito's Chaos Comics, simply titled Halloween. It was intended to be a black... It was intended to be a one-issue special, but eventually two sequels spawned, Halloween 2, The Blackest Eyes, and Halloween 3, The Devil's Eyes. All the stories were written by Phil Nutman, with Daniel Farrens, writer for Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, assisting on the first issue, and David Brewer and Justiano working on the illustrations. Tommy Doyle is the main protagonist in each of the issues, focusing on his attempts to kill Michael Myers. The first issue includes backstory on Michael's childhood, while the third picks up after the events of the film Halloween H20. These comics are based on Daniel Ferrin's concept for Halloween Resurrection. He had been approached by the producers to pitch a follow-up to Halloween H20. His idea was to have Tommy Doyle incarcerated at Smith's Grove, for Michael Myers' crimes, only to escape and reunite with Lindsay Wallace. Together, they study the journals of Dr. Loomis and find out more about Michael's childhood. The movie would have explored Michael's time at Smith's Grove and his relationship with Dr. Loomis before returning to Tommy and Lindsay, who are attacked by the adult Michael Myers. Upon defeating him and removing his mask, they discover Laurie Strode, who has taken over her brother's mantle. Farron's logic was that since Jamie Lee Curtis was to which was contracted to cameo in Halloween Resurrection they should make that cameo as significant and surprising as possible although the studio did not follow up on his pitch Ferrens was able to tell his story in comic book form uh, which I'm very happy about you know even though they directed that pitch I am glad that he was able to finish the story in comic book form. Uh, in comic book form, because it does sound interesting. And at the same time, even though it does sound interesting to me, I am glad that they did reject it in film premise, because I think if they had put that on screen, it would have just been absolutely ridiculous. I think the fact that Laurie is Michael's sister is in and of itself ridiculous, in my opinion. And you'll find out why I think that here in just a little bit. Uh, So definitely glad he kept it in the comic books. Uh, Continuing on with the comic book side of things here, One Good Scare, written by Stephen Hutchinson and illustrated by Peter Fielding, was released in 2003. The main character in this comic is Lindsay Wallace, the young girl who first saw Michael Myers alongside Tommy Doyle in the original 1978 film. Hutchinson wanted to bring the character back to his roots and away from the lumbering Jason Voorhees side of things. The film sequels have made him. One good scare came about because Hutchinson wanted to produce a comic book to celebrate the series' 25th anniversary, to be sold as a collectible at a Halloween convention in South Pasadena. Due to the positive reception to One Good Scare, Hutchinson hoped to use the comic as a demo for getting a distribution deal, but was unable to do so due to rights issues. So that's a little bit about the comic book side of things as it pertains to the Halloween universe. Obviously, there are many comic books, many different writers and illustrators involved in the making of those comics. Uh, As you know, if you've listened to any of my past episodes, I love comic books. I have a lot of comic books, been collecting for a few years now but I have not read any of the Halloween comics. Uh, They definitely sound interesting. So now that we've talked a bit about the comic book side of things, let's turn our attention to merchandise, of course. Any long-running popular franchise has merchandise attached, and Halloween is, of course, no different. Halloween has also seen profitability through various merchandise like toys, dolls, statues, model kits, bobbleheads, snow globes, of all things, movie posters, masks, t-shirts, hats, and so much more. Michael Myers has made appearances in the form of dolls and toys from McFarlane Toys, Metzgo Toys, Sideshow Collectibles, and NECA. Even Dr. Loomis has been immortalized in plastic alongside Michael Myers in a two figure set produced by NECA. So, a lot of action figures, a lot of shirts, a lot of various toys and memorabilia surrounding the Halloween franchise as well. And Snow Globes really found that to be really interesting. I would love to see what a Halloween snow globe looks like as it pertains to the franchise um so now i want to talk about uh the mask the iconic michael myers mask that we all know and appreciate uh it has a pretty good history as you'll find out here The Michael Myers mask has been reproduced over the years by Don Post, the mask company responsible for the creation of the mask from several of the Halloween films. The Silver Shamrock novelty factory seen in Halloween 3 was actually shot on location in one of Don Post's factories. While Don Post's reproduction... While Don Post was actually shot on location in one of Don Post's factories... Oh, excuse me. Lost my train of thought there. While John Post's stores... While Don Post reproductions of the Michael Myers mask are still commonly found in costume stores every Halloween, the license to produce Michael Myers mask has since been given to Cinema Secrets, the company commissioned with the creation of the Michael Myers mask for Halloween resurrection as of 2012. Universal Pictures has granted license to Trick or Treat Studios to produce two versions of the Michael Myers mask for Halloween 2, one clean version and one with the famous Blood Tears. So a lot of different distributors as it pertains to the Michael Myers mask. There a lot of different people making those masks a reality, uh, and they have changed hands quite a bit. Uh, so that's a bit on the merchandise side of things. To close things out here, I want to give you a few curious facts surrounding the halloween franchise and there's some good ones here i think curious fact number one freddie krueger worked on john carpenter's original halloween carpenter filled the midwest set autumnal halloween during a california summer so they used fake fall leaves to help achieve the right atmosphere one of the assistants who was tasked with scattering those leaves around the set was robert england who would go on to don Freddy Krueger's iconic striped sweater for a nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. It's so funny, England told Access Online. I actually had a roommate back when they did the original Halloween, the John Carpenter one, and he conned me into going to Pasadena one day with a garbage bag full of dead leaves. I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was really cool that Freddy Krueger, Robert England, had a hand in making this first Halloween movie a reality. Really cool stuff. Curious fact number two Michael Myers became Laurie Strode's brother because of writer's Block and beer. Uh, since there was never meant to be another movie about Lori and Michael, Carpenter and Hill had no backstory to pull from for Halloween 2. I didn't think there was any more story and I didn't want to do it again, Carpenter told Deadline, but I had to write the second movie and every night I sat there and wrote with a six pack of beer trying to get through the thing. And I didn't do a very good job, but that was it. I couldn't do it anymore and so that's what they went with. Uh, So yeah, the fact that they made Laurie Michael's sister is just the product of many late drunk nights and kind of a half-done job in my opinion, which is ultimately one of the huge reasons why I don't agree with that in my personal opinion. I think if you're gonna do that, you need to put the time and effort in. But I didn't make the movie, so I digress. Uh, Curious fact number three here, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers was Paul Rudd's first starring role. Halloween producers wanted Brian Andrews, who had played Tommy Doyle in the original Halloween, to reprise his role from the original movie in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995. But Andrews didn't have an agent, so they were unable to locate him to offer him the part. Instead, the role went to then-newcomer Paul Rudd, who filmed the movie in October of 1994, just one month before shooting Clueless. Yes, flirting with Alicia Silverstone made Rudd a star, but running from Michael Myers gave him the chance to be in a movie whose title is an inside joke about how bad the production was. So I absolutely love Paul Rudd. Uh, If you know anything about Paul Rudd, he is, of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Ant-Man. That's where I know Paul Rudd from. He is one of our Avengers. And so to find out that he actually starred in one of the later Halloween movies, Really, really cool in my opinion. Just another reason why I need to go and watch some of the later entries in the franchise. Curious fact number four here, Rob Zombie tried to fully kill the Halloween franchise. Like others before him, Zombie attempted the franchise tradition of trying to kill the franchise. His original ending for Halloween 2 in 2009 involved killing off all the main characters. Michael kills Loomis, and the police kill Michael and Lori when they believe she's going to attack Loomis's body with a knife. Since it would have stuck a final nail in the coffin, another ending made the final cut, which ended up setting up the sequel that Zombie would go on to make, which was the 10th movie in the franchise. And in my personal opinion, the fact that Zombie tried to fully end the franchise is part of the reason why diehard fans don't consider his films canon. In my personal opinion and you're gonna find out with this final and arguably most interesting curious fact here curious fact number five that no one is legally allowed to kill michael myers let me expand on this what's the source of michael's invincibility turns out it's a stellar contract lawyer halloween h2o gives the series a perfect ending with laurie chopping michael's head off But the scene was a major point of contention, because Curtis only wanted to return to the franchise to end it, and Mustafa Akkad demanded it last forever. Even Dimension Films wanted Michael dead, but Akkad retained the legal rights to keep the character alive. There was something in the contract that said you can never kill Michael Myers. Curtis explained in Halloween The Inside Story, They never told me. They go, so if you think he's dead, and the audience thinks he's dead, but he's not dead, is that good enough for you? I went, yeah, I guess. Screenwriter Kevin Williamson crafted the compromise scene, and in Resurrection, it's revealed that Michael crushed the windpipe of another guy, and then proceeded to swap his clothes and his mask. So, you cannot legally kill Michael Myers, which explains why we have so many films in the franchise. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. I did not know that initially. Um, And that's it, guys. That is episode five on all things surrounding the Halloween franchise. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed doing this episode. I love the Halloween franchise, at least the few films that I've seen. Um, And again, I highly recommend that you watch them. They are pretty good, but they are a little bit on the violent and gory side as, of course, most slashers are. So, again, thank you guys so much for listening to this. Um, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That is so important as it helps us get recognized. It helps us push up the chart, get more listeners, and it allows me to keep bringing you guys Great content. Also, on Apple Podcasts, even if that's not your preferred player of choice, please consider going over there and writing a review about the show. And as it does help, it is a big help. Also, consider checking out our Facebook page. There are some really cool, interesting articles on different pop culture items there as well. And of course, if you love this episode, if you have anything you want to say about this episode or past episodes, or you have ideas for future episodes, you can send those to our email at gmail.com. Once again, thank you guys. Everybody have a happy Halloween. Be safe out there. And as always, stay curious.